Maria Claudia Lopez and myself, Frank van Laarhoven, are co-hosting today's episode of the Journal Episode series of the In Common podcast. Uh, and with this series, we are attempting to lower the barriers to entry for journal content. In this particular case, journal content from the International Journal of the Commons. The people for whom we supposedly write and publish may not have the time or the patience to read 20 pages worth of dense, jargon-loaded scientific writing and hearing authors talk about their work enthusiastically and with passion in layman's terms uh, that may very well serve as a shortcut to access important findings. And students, they might find it inspiring to hear published authors talk about their research and maybe about their experience with publishing. Today, Maria Claudia and I are joined by Beril Okakli, and Beril is going to tell us what her name is actually pronounced as, who recently published an article in IJC, in the International Journal of the Commons, together with uh, Tobias Kruger and Jörg Neuöner. And that paper is called Shades of Conflict in Kyrgyzstan, National Actors, Perceptions and Behavior in Mining. And we are super excited to have the chance to hear you talk about your work, uh, Beril, and welcome to the show. Beril, this paper focuses on gold mining in Kyrgyzstan. And as you say, that is a fragile resource dependent country uh, at the commodity frontier. And as the title implies, the focus is on conflict and the, par- the point of departure is not a simple black and white dichotomy of either conflict or cooperation. Um, and also where most studies so far have focused on local perspectives and conflicts at the community scale, your focus is more on national actors and their perceived, uh, uh, their perception of conflict. And uh, Beryl, now, apart from asking you what your name is actually pronounced as, I would like to invite you to talk a little bit about yourself. How, how, how did you get where you are professionally today? What is your story, your education? Uh, what's the narrative of your career as you understand it, Beryl? Frank, uh, Maria Claudia, first of all, good afternoon. I think good morning for Maria Claudia. It's um, great to be talking to you today for the next couple of minutes. And thank you for the passionate introduction. I hope we can keep up the rest with, with that level. Um, I will have to start really restating my name, but but I'm used to different iterations of my name. So no worries. My name is Beryl Ojakut. And I am, um, I'm based in Berlin, Humboldt University uh, in Germany at the geography department. Uh, and uh, specifically I'm affiliated with uh, an integrative research institute that is called IRI Thesis. It is a research institute um, that um, brings different scholars from different uh, disciplines that do research on um, transformations of human environment systems. And I'm, I'm based there since 2015 as a doctoral uh, researcher, but I will um, take a step back perhaps because you wanted to have a sneak peek into my story. So my, my, my um, intellectual romance, the governance of social ecological systems goes back to 2007. Actually a little bit more, but let's say um, as I graduated, um, as I finished my master's studies in development, uh, international development, I have started working actually in development cooperation. And so since 2007, I have been um, working in different um, governance um, initiatives um, from uh, land to subsoil use, subsoil being now the uh, latest 
So we are looking at 14 years of experience, I guess. But in 2015, I made an um, unexpected turn to academia. And um, I, I decided to um, come back to academia because I was um, inspired, but also challenged by um, some of the, let's say, real life or practitioner situations that I encountered in my job. And in 2015, I came back uh, to Academia Tukumbol to IRE thesis, and I continued for three years. I could not give up my job because that was my identity. You know, I did not want to go back to being just a student. So I went on working for three years full time. And then I, but at the same time, I started my research. And 2018, I decided to focus on my research, which is what I, uh, my research focuses on understanding um, understanding the gold rush and resistance in um, Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan, you have succinctly put it, but just to uh, um, put it in a nutshell, is, is a country in Central Asia, and um, it is not new to extractive uh, industries, um, but um, after becoming independent um, of the um, of Soviet Union, beginning of 90s, and the last 30 years has been experiencing an um, expansion of um, interest, uh, extractive industries, especially in gold. So I'm looking at what is driving this gold rush, and I'm trying to contextualize and make sense of um, the resistance that is also correspondingly uh, growing to the expansion of um, of these gold projects in the country. Very old. Uh, I was very impressed with your paper because you are you are doing research in a topic that is often very difficult to do research. So it's difficult to to get the trust of people that work around topics of mining. So can you tell us a little bit how were you able to achieve that? Like where the idea of doing this topic started, and how was that you? were able to convince these people to participate in your research? Um, that, is, that is very true. It is extremely difficult. So, you know, I, am, I have been researching this topic now six years and it has not become any easier. I have become more paranoid over time. Uh, even there are days, I don't know, am I spy? Which interest am I serving? What has become of me? Uh, but I think my, my entry point is really important um, for answering your question because I was um, I was working in an um, international development program um, that was based in Central Asia, and ironically, that had the aim of using mineral resources for development of uh, a number of Central Asian countries. And um, I have um, my my role was based in Berlin, and I was um, uh, leading an. Um, high-level political dialogue between the representatives of government, business, and, and academia of um, the selected partner countries in Central Asia and um, from the German side. And um, with time, um, I have uh, started to, although I was not based in any of the countries, I have started to realize that, especially Kyrgyzstan, um, was undergoing a um, turmoil um, a troubled um, expansion of, of uh, in investments really in mining. And um, however, I was, you have to understand, I was um, embedded in an um, international development program where, you know, the aim is also, of course, attract investment in these projects. So it's, it's kind of a conflicted configuration, really. But I have realized that um, the business representatives or, or um, the cooperation uh, agencies, they don't have the time really 
or sometimes even the interest to go deeper into these conflicts. And in case of Kyrgyzstan, I have started to come across quite strong discourses, allegations of why there were conflicts, why communities were going against their own states, because state is, you know, working for modernization and growth of the of, of these nations, right? And so th th at that point, so three years into project, I decided to take up um, another role, a second role, and the project, their colleagues were open-minded about that. And I started to really take, um, based on specific examples, to um, have a better understanding of what is it that drives really, on the one hand, the, the rush of the gold uh, investments, but on the other hand, the resistance. And um, I guess this is a long way of saying uh, that uh, the connections that I had through my profession and my job was the door opener. And, and with, with that access and privilege I have, that I have to admit and grateful for, I think this, first, uh, this paper that we're talking today uh, would have not been possible at all because we're talking about almost 30 um, stakeholders. They're all representing um, state agencies, non-governmental organizations, and uh, large-scale mining companies who actually talked to me. And from what I heard from, from other colleagues who also wanted to, researchers wanted to take up research in this field, they were not even allowed to in any way conduct an interview or get in touch with mining companies. So um, that is how I got but gaining trust, of course, it, it is a long-term process. I think um, now I have long-lasting relationship with, between the communities that I, I resided, lived with, and shared their um, um, grievances and struggles. I have a different relationship, but at the beginning, they were rightfully uh, hesitant to trust me because why should they? And you know, they have uh, they go through breach of trust in their day to day lives and encounters with mining companies and their own government. I love your answer, and I love your answer because that is that part of that story that is behind your article. So, if so, like it's not that if somebody wants to study mining, they can jump and go and do some research on like some uh, being able to achieve to do the interviews that you were able to achieve. So clearly you brought that into the paper and you, I have to say that you were shy in confessing your experience in the, like when you were writing the paper, you have a line there. And I was very curious about that. I was like, I really want to understand a little bit more of that behind and how was that you were able to, um, to, to describe what was happening in a sector where I feel that people are gonna be very reluctant to provide very, like, the type of information that they were able to give you. I, 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 I have to agree with uh, Maria Claudia. I, I also love the revelations that you were making, the things that you were revealing about the journey, the struggles that even include paranoia and, uh, and, and trust building. That's the kind of stuff that you do not usually read in the, in the papers. And that's the kind of stuff that I would have wished to know about when I was a grad student myself. It's, 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 a, it's a difficult process, uh, enjoyable also, but, but difficult and not as clean and tidied up as it appears when you're reading the, the final outcome. Speaking of which, the final outcome. So I, I don't want you to, 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 to give a dry summary of your article, but what would you want a reader or a listener to this podcast walk away with after having heard you or after having read your story? What's the main message? What is, what is it that you would want to stick with them? Um, there is There are a number of main messages. They're all interrelated, of course. I will try to be... Um 
uh, I will try to be clear in, in the order. I think, but the first thing is, and, and all these messages are by now very, uh, very personal. They are, they are personal and emotional messages by now. The first one is actually the motivation behind um, writing this very paper. It is that um, to make loud and clear, for first of all, back then it was the test, but now that I have tested and studied over a long time, uh, to make clear that the, the, the mining-induced related conflicts are often referred to as local conflicts. And it is important uh, uh, to me to make this message clear that these conflicts are not a feature, not a salient characteristics of local communities. They unfold at the level of communities, obviously, with the first excavator or where, where you know, where they see uh, dozens of hectares, um, uh, pastures, but also uh, meanings and values attached to that pasture extracted away from them. Uh, it unfolds there, but it does not start there. And one message is that um, to make clear that we're not talking about um, only local conflicts, because these communities, you know, in, in quotation marks, these communities are not understanding the, the beauty or value of mining, or we are also not fighting an agentless capitalist expansion, you know, somewhere, somebody sitting in Washington that pushes this. So there are national actors as agents who enable institutionally the intrusion of expansion into places and lives. So that is the one message that I want to make very clear. These are not local conflicts. These conflicts have structural, um, structural underliers, factors. And um, with that, um, we realize that uh, there, is, there is a gap in the timeline um, the uh, different things at the national level, starting with um, institutional framework that is not aligned with um, attributes of mining transactions or, or an institutional design that is actually not reinforced, precedes the outbreak of these conflicts, right? And with that, when we look at it, we are not looking at um, conflict as opposing cooperation, we are looking and hence the name shades of conflict. So a gradually differentiated nuanced regularities of behavior that start to be reinforced at the national um, level. And this also, this is the next message. This is for institutional nerds, I guess. This just corresponds to the nature of institutions. And, and that is the next message I wanna give away because it is really difficult to study institutions in the, in the, in the field. You know, um, the, the field is mostly dominated by formal, written, good institutions, institutions that are supposed to fit, you know, the uh, ecological systems. Well, the thing is that we also have to bridge the gap between the formal and informal institutions. And because um, what really motivates behavior? And this is the thing behind the idea behind the paper was to understand the mental models of national actors of governance. Um, what do they understand of the conflicts? What they want to recognize as drivers and what they don't want to and, and why not? So basically understand their um, motivation. And I think, I think these are the, the main messages. Thank you, Beryl. This is like clearly in this, like you were saying, in this uh, paper, you are showing this often dichotomy that we find in the field between the formal and informal institutions. What is next for you or what is next for this paper? Are you uh, considering looking at a different angle of the same problem, maybe the perspective of other people? Um, or yes, what is next with this article? Um, what is next? 
uh, has to a large extent already happened because um, the, the paper got published last year, but the, the majority of the work that went in already uh, followed before that. Um, the paper was, or the, 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 the unit of analysis or scale of attention, let's say, was really helpful in shaping the rest of the research because from the national level, I started following some of these discourses uh, that are being reinforced by uh, neoliberal state actors and corporate uh, corporate uh, agents. Um, and one of those was to understand really when is the willingness to prevent the conflict. So what I did in the aftermath is that I actually uh, studied at two further communities, um, one that hosts the third largest gold mine. It has been praised for being an, um, a paragon of community company cooperation. That is at least what we know from the discourses. So that's a good community that allows good mining. And um, following the um, other, again, polarizing discourse, because there are these naughty examples of communities that go against their state. Um, and so I did uh, at another community level research um, where um, the, the, study, the, the, the community that I looked into has been resisting um, an exploration company since almost 10 years, so a decade. I spent um, longer periods of time in both communities, uh, used different methods, uh, really, um, from behavioral experiments to lengthy ethnographic inquiry. And um, it was interesting to really unravel the or unearth the, the the level of and success of tactics of delegitimization it is really hard to find about these communities and their struggles really they don't make it to media outlets really they are uh, they're facing a spectrum of um, different different types of oppression uh, from soft violence to harder types of violence and um, so this is this is what the the journey of their paper took me really. And right now, as we speak, I am making sense uh, for the at least for the moment one last time of all these findings because I'm wrapping my doctoral dissertation. And um, yeah, uh, what comes next, uh, we'll see. I love that you are saying that because that was my next question. Like, what is what is next for you? Like, where where is that this is taking you now? Um, that's a good question. I think I'm trying to uh, not panic by uh, the precarity of academia. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm coming from somewhere which was not academia, so I know that uh, I know that it's nowhere rosy and challenges are, you know, abound. Um, but I have been enjoying the last six years um, of this research a lot, despite its difficulties. So I will try to really, I, I want to give it a shot to stick around. Um, because unfortunately, the issues, the forms of extractivisms, you know, from mining to agroforestry to hydropower dams, they are, we are not witnessing a shortage of different ways of exploitation and intrusion. And so resistance is nowhere near to be vanishing. And I would like to continue uh, looking at different forms of extractivism and alternatives. And um, with that, I also have a hidden agenda, of course, well, well, hidden, not so hidden, really, to stick to, to, stick to the uh, common scholarship, um, institutional, institutional perspectives, but also continue taking 
these insights to more challenging um, dialogues also with critical geographers and anthropologists who also have uh, things to say about really resource governance, commons and commoning in different ways and more relational ways sometimes. And um, so I would like to continue, continue these challenging agonistic antagonistic dialogues really also in an effort to really strengthen our um, disciplinary claims. That, that's that's fantastic, and uh, and in answering uh, Maria Claudia's question, you have also answered the question about the future of common scholarship. Maybe, uh -huh. maybe. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, yeah building on that. I so I'm I'm a big fan of uh, podcasts as a medium. I love listening to them, and I'm very excited and a bit nervous about producing one now together with Maria Claudia and the good people behind uh, the Incommons podcast. And I, one thing that I love about podcasts is, is, is when they are recognizable, when they have a format that is structurally and reappearing in all the episodes. And, and, and maybe there is this signature question that I want to wrap up with, and I'm going to try to do that in all the episodes. And so cursing in church, that's an expression in Dutch, and I'm not sure if that translates well into English, but maybe you'll understand what, I'm, uh, what I mean by that when I ask my question. So one can say that the Ostrom branch of common scholarship started in the 1960s with the study of policing in metropolitan areas. And, and that led to, to, to beautiful insights and, 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 and ideas about polycentricity. And we're still working with these theoretical contribution that, that came from that. But if you read the headlines these days, uh, problems uh, with policing in metropolitan areas have not been solved in the United States since that. So, so, so we're, 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 we, we tend to lean towards uh, making theoretical uh, progress. And we seem to be... Uh, underdeveloping our contribution to the solving of problems that commoners uh, uh, face. So that's that's a bit of the stretch that we find ourselves in. And that, that also resonates in your answer about your personal future in academia and in what way, or maybe as a practitioner. But in your paper, and this is the signature question that I'm hopefully become better at formulating as the episodes continue. Who are the commoners in your paper? And how does your paper help them solving the problems that they are facing? The commoners are in in my research the, the affected communities, the the um, uh, unheard heroes of different resistance movements who go against different forms of patriarchy and oppressive forms. Um, but they have um, they might be. You know, there's not one group of, even within a community, there's not one type of commoner. Um, and um, they, uh, what they're doing is that they are uh, working together collectively for sure. Um, and realizing or imagining and realizing um, uh, futures and lives that are meaningful for them, that are pros prosperous for them, that might be alternative to uh, development paradigms. Uh, so they are working towards uh, common stewardship of the things they value and possess together. It, uh, and it might not be only you know, looking at a common pool resource, but it is a process of basically um, from grassroots, seeing what one has, uh, to value and work towards uh, that. And um, in, in, in mining conflicts, I see really uh, different accounts of inspiring um, 
uh, commoning that would, however, maybe not fit in the dominant um, categories of who is a commoner, what is a common resource, um, etc. So these are the um, yeah, the, com the, the, the affected communities really. And um, this is why my commitment to uh, starting from the national level, uh, tracing these, these discourses that try to delegitimize these as aspirations and exigencies in an effort to legitimize own extractive uh, agendas. That's fantastic. I think that uh, a lot can be learned from your uh, article and maybe even more so from the answers to our questions in this podcast today. I think we can wrap up uh, unless you have something that needs to be said, uh, Beril. Uh, I actually do uh, because this is, perhaps this is interesting for, uh, for, for listeners and I don't know, first paper submitting students. You know, um, uh, International Journal of the Commons was my first uh, journal of choice, but I did not have the I did not have the courage to uh, go directly to IJC because I was afraid that although you know being part of this community, I was afraid that it was not uh, part of the usual suspects. You know, I'm not uh, picking one of uh, Lim's uh, frameworks. I'm not applying to a different context. Uh, I'm not testing, you know, um, one of these models or theories. So I was, I was really not sure. And um, but I'm so happy that my first PhD baby actually found this home. And I was really so impressed by the professional. And this is not just because I'm talking to you here right now, but the editors in chief and the the quality of reviewers that actually looked into this um, uh, research. Uh, who actually understood what this paper was about because it is not automatic that reviewers understand what you're talking about. And I'm really, really, really happy. Um, but perhaps for those who have these kind of um, concerns, um, I think it is worth taking a shot to engage in these conversations because unless, uh, as we, unless we do, we also limit our chances of broadening the scopes of our scholarships and we are missing out on chances. So this is why I know it is it is not the safe road, but it is the it is the fun road, and it is the one that maybe pays off. So that is what I want to leave um, the audience with. Thank you, uh, Beril. And I want to uh, to stress and tell the audience that we're not paying Beril to uh, to say that. And secondly, I uh, I agree for a full one hundred percent. We're always looking for diversity. Diversity is important for institutions. Uh, biodiversity is important. Also, diversity in views on and approaches to commons and co commons scholarship is the only way forward. Cross fertilization, building on, experimenting with with new way of looking and framing things. Uh, so we're welcoming these kinds of. Uh, of, of new ways of uh, doing common scholarship, just as we have welcomed your work, Betty. With this, I'm going to wrap up this conversation, this interview, uh, with a big thank you to you, Betty. Uh, and I'm sure that Maria Claudia joins me in thanking Betty. Uh, thank you, thank you. Yes. Thank you both, yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm going to, uh, to hit the stop recording button. Thank you for having tuned in and we hope you have enjoyed. This was an original In Common Podcast episode. You can find more episodes at incommonpodcast.org. We would love to hear from you and I'm sure you are savvy enough to figure out how and where to find us. On Twitter, for example. You can subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave a review. 
keep commenting and I hope to see you next time.